Our meditation this 23rd Sunday after Trinity is on our gospel text. Hear the word of our Lord from Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him. This is the Gospel of our Lord. God be praised for his glad tidings. Now grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 19 says that the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Among men, there are those who have reached great heights in intellect, shrewdness, and cunning only for God to completely humiliate them. Today, with our gospel reading, we are given a great gift in being able to see an example of this humiliation happening. The Pharisees were just such people. You know the type. They are oh so clever that they think they are able to destroy Christ with a single question. And of course, it is an either-or kind of question, a yes-or-no question, designed so that whatever answer is given, the other person looks bad. It is the kind of heads-I-win, tails-you-lose, rhetorical coin-flip trap that we see used in all sorts of arguments even to this day. But unlike online debates and petty feuds between people in the modern age, the Pharisees are playing for keeps. They intend to completely finish our Lord Jesus with this question. They ask, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? If Christ answered with, yes, then he comes out looking like a traitor to the people of Judea by siding with the occupying Roman government. They could parade his yes all over the country, getting the vast majority of the disciples to stop following him. But if he answered with no, then the Herodians they brought with them, these government officials, would have Christ arrested. With a no answer, he could be declared a rebel, thrown in a dungeon, and perhaps executed. Pretty clever, isn't it? In this very moment, they think that they have him pinned down. Either he gives up his ministry by tarring his own reputation, or he gives up his life at the gallows for being an insurrectionist. Of course, 
I'm getting ahead of myself here. We cannot forget that before they asked the Lord Jesus their trick question, they flattered him, dishonestly praising his teaching abilities and incorruptible mind. They say, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. If the Pharisees honestly believed what they were saying here, then they would never have tried to entrap Jesus with their question. Ironically, though, this dishonest flattery is correct. Jesus is true and teaches the way of God truthfully. He will not permit human opinions to sway him away from the truth, and nor will he be led astray by human appearances. You cannot bribe Jesus, and nor can you catch him telling a lie or saying something mistaken. Had these Pharisees actually believed their flattering words, then they would have known that you cannot trap Jesus with a trick question. They accidentally sealed their own fate by paying a compliment that he lives up to in his answer. But before our Lord answers them, he asks a question of his own. Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Do not be surprised that he knew they had ulterior motives. Though he knows all things already, it is not like he had to pull off a miracle to figure out that they were up to no good. These men, drowning in their own hubris, brought Herodian officials with them. Now imagine a man coming up to you, beloved, and he brings in several burly, violent-looking mafia enforcers. He looks at them, looks at you, and says, My friend, I know you are a moral and wise man, so is it good or bad when mafia guys are arrested? Someone like that may as well put up a big sign on his chest saying, I hate you and want you to die. Yet these Pharisees giggle to themselves, <laughs> We got him now while making their game painfully obvious. So before we even hear the full response from Christ, he has embarrassed them. Again, the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written he catches the wise in their craftiness. Until Judgment Day, there will never cease to be puffed-up fools who think they are smarter than God. No matter how many times an atheist has been answered, he will continue to return to, If God real, why bad thing happen? And the same goes for the liberal theology guy that claims the Bible doesn't teach us anything about hell. There is a veritable flood of those who claim to be wise, wiser than the plain text of scripture, and all these crumple in the face of divine revelation. Faced with the pure word, they are made as nothing. Our Lord demands that a denarius be brought to him. Of course, he could have simply spoken the words, but an illustration is needed when one's opponents are not as smart as they think they are. 
Having them bring a coin before him is also necessary for his answer, which is deeper than a single yes or no could provide. Instead of merely saying, yes, you should pay your taxes to Caesar, he teaches them and us about the reason we pay taxes in the first place. Whose likeness and inscription is this? Whose likeness? Who minted this money? From where does this coin come? What does it purchase? Who is in charge here? Someone had the power to not only set up a society, but also to set up an economy, a culture, a system. Whoever is on the coin, that must be a very important person indeed. Someone that ultimately lays claim to the coin because they lay claim to the whole realm. Of course, they see Caesar's face on the coin and say his name. Our Lord responds with, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. That word, render, has a meaning like paying someone back. Christ is not saying, give to Caesar your identity and worship him, abandon all that you are for Caesar. But he merely says, give back to Caesar what is rightfully his. In other words, this money was never yours in the first place, so give it to the one that it belongs to. Now this is the point when many Christians, especially American Christians, go from smugly looking down on the Pharisees for their foolishness to secretly supporting them. On the down low, if you asked the same question that the Pharisees asked to them, in an honest moment, these Jewish nationalists would say that paying taxes to the Romans was worthy of war. We sympathize, don't we? After all, America was founded with a bloody revolution because certain men did not want to pay taxes without receiving special privileges. Ironically, the taxes now levied upon us are far beyond whatever the British crown placed on the American colonists, making many of us itch for rebellion against our own government. Oh, we are willing to take government services and handouts. Don't you dare touch my social security. But the moment taxation enters the picture, we go insane with resentment because that's our money, our blood, sweat, and tears. How dare the government tell us to pay up like that? It is the sin of rebellion nestled deep within the heart of man that leads to our sympathies with the Pharisees here. Like the urge toward witchcraft, rebellion seeks personal power at the expense of everything and everyone else. It is our inborn desire to raise the black flag and scream no gods, no masters into the ears of our rulers that desire tells us to contradict Christ. We can laugh all we want at the foolishness of these Jewish wise guys trying to get Jesus killed with their question, but the moment it comes to our taxes, we must confess that we plot right along with them. We must pay our taxes and give honor and obedience to the ruling authorities. 
All objections to the plain reading of this text are illegitimate. But, Pastor, your tax money is used to fund foreign wars. So too did Caesar use tax money to fund foreign wars. But, Pastor, your tax money is used for abortions and all manner of wicked sacrifices. So too did Caesar use tax money to sacrifice to his demons. Pastor, when Jesus said render, he didn't mean that we have to pay our taxes for X, Y, or Z reason. Yes, he did, and your objection sounds an awful lot like the people who claim the Bible never condemns theft or murder or fornication. It's all mental gymnastics to excuse what you wanted to do in the first place. Yet Christ tells us to render unto Caesar. Lest we be like the devil, the first one who refused to render unto his ruler, we must repent of this rebellious attitude. Remember, the devil was the first to cry freedom. The devil was the first to demand equal rights. The devil was the first to refuse leadership by another when he should have been thankful. And if we retain the same rebellious mindset as him, we shall go with him to his eternal home, the lake of fire. Understandably, some will be upset at hearing this. I wrote the above paragraph with that in mind. The same men who came to Jesus Christ with this question ended up having him crucified. Our modern-day rebels would do exactly the same, no matter how much they claim to love Jesus. They who arranged the crucifixion committed the most heinous act of rebellion in the history of mankind. And why? Because the Messiah would not engage in the revolutionary war that they wanted him to start. They rebelled against the king of all creation because he refused to rebel and slaughter a bunch of Romans. Today's rebel has the same spirit, and many of today's would-be revolutionaries consciously reject Christ on account of passages like our gospel reading. They would kill him in a heartbeat. We drive the nails into Christ's hands when we say that taxation permits us to stage a revolution. Because if you refuse to render unto Caesar, chances are you will absolutely refuse to render unto God. Our Lord tells the Pharisees and the Herodians who were with them that we must render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Caesar produced the money, he minted the coin, so at the end of the day it belongs to him if he asks for it. God wants something different from you. God has no need of your money. When you tithe, he does not put it in the divine checking account in heaven's bank. To the contrary, tithes and offerings are a way of loving your neighbors. Making a contribution blesses the ministry which goes on to care for the souls of others. But our Heavenly Father? Well, personally, he does not need it, as the entirety of the universe is already under his ownership. What does our Lord require of us if he does not need anything? Beloved, he wants your heart. He wants your worship. He wants your faith in him. 
He wants you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. And he did all this before ever asking anything of you or me. Before ever asking for anything, he gave to us the offer of salvation. He gave to us the daily bread which we enjoy. And he gave all good things which we need and desire. Not only that, but recall that Christ is also our example here. Though he owned everything, he paid his taxes. Truly, what an insult that must be to our Lord, that he should be made to pay hard-earned money when he is the only one who can truly lay claim on any property at all. It's his universe, after all. Yet we still see him paying the temple tax in Matthew 17. But wait, beloved, there is more. The injustices that you and I face, seeing wicked rulers and evil governments, Jesus willingly submitted to them for our benefit. When Judas came with the guards to seize him, Christ had every opportunity and every right to call upon help from heaven to slay them. He had every ability to do so, but chose not to. If he had followed in the spirit of rebellion, then our sins would still be upon our own shoulders. Whatever our feelings are on bad governments, we'd better thank the Lord that he submitted to the dictates of evil rulers on our behalf. He did so because he loves us. Beloved God wants your heart. If there should ever be a time in which the government commands you to stop praying, stop doing church, or even to stop being a Christian entirely, the answer you give is a resounding no. No, sir, I will not comply with that. I have rendered unto you all that my Savior has commanded me, from my tax money to my political loyalty. I even pray for your well-being, but my heart and my worship are not mine to give up. They are what I have rendered to the God who saved me. The president, Caesar, the king, or the prince may rage at hearing this. They may say that God tells you to not be a rebel, but in worldly foolishness, they fail to see that they are in that moment rebelling against the true king who will one day hold them to account. Beloved, God sees you. He knows about the reprehensible conditions in the world, and he is well aware of these leaders that hate their own citizens. He knows what you are going through, and in his compassion he has offered you citizenship in a better kingdom. Seeing your pain and frustration at all the wickedness of the politicians and rulers, he has promised you eternal life. Provided you are a baptized believer in Christ Jesus, the coming King who will one day restore all things. Of course, we still live in this world, don't we? And it is one thing to say, obey the government, unless they command you to sin. And it is one thing to say, on the final judgment, Christ will get rid of all bad governance forever. These are most certainly true. But our hearts still yearn for better conditions here on earth. 
There is nothing wrong with that. We want the kingdom of heaven, and it is acceptable to work to make our earthly kingdoms a little bit more like it. We have Christian freedom to peacefully work toward reforming our societies. In fact, I would say that it's a good work which pleases our Lord. After all, not only is it good to want a government that sides with Jesus over the false gods and false morality of the world, but to have such a government brings Christ the glory and pleases our Lord. Let us work to reform, not rebel. For with reforming we are made the hands and feet of God to help curb the power of evil in this era. Now the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.